Well, you have to sort of have an understanding of it first. And even maybe you have to experience it. But it's hard to identify with something that you've never actually made personal in your life. Or, or at least come to some level of understanding. You know, I, I myself cannot identify with musicals. I just can't do it. I find them cringeworthy, and honestly, they even err on the side of torture for me. And this is bad, because my wife actually really does enjoy musicals. Yes. That's, but I can relate with her on, on sunsets, beautiful sunsets, where God's majesty and his colors are on display. And I can sit and I can look at those things. Or, or even rain on a, on a tin roof in a summer's night for me. It, it brings something out. And I can really identify with that moment. Or even for some of us, it could be the fresh scent of bacon in the morning. Yeah, I like bacon. But these things that I can relate to, maybe some of you can't. You say a sunset, that's overrated. Rain on the roof, that's, I don't like getting wet. And then maybe even bacon, you're like, I don't like bacon. I feel sorry for you if you don't like bacon, but maybe you don't. So how do you identify with something then if you can't relate to it? Or if it doesn't make it personal in your life? And the reality is that if I was to say something... And for you, you would automatically be transported to it. I could say one word, and automatically you would remember a moment in your life. Someone, something, an experience. And automatically you would identify with that thing. And there have been things in your life that just by that simple mention, just by that simple word, it changes your setting. It can bring you happiness. It can bring you into a place of of comfort. But how do we identify this with the new birth? For some of you right now that are sitting in this sanctuary, it was at an altar. It was at a place where you came to know who Jesus was. Or there was that personal encounter where everything that the preacher ever spoke about in your life became real, became something that you could relate to. Or perhaps that place where you found the freedom of baptism in Jesus' name, where that water washed over you and you came up out of that water and there was freedom. Or maybe for you it was that moment when you were filled with the Holy Ghost and God began to work His Spirit into your life and you felt the, the overwhelming joy that comes from that. Tears streamed through your eyes and you began to speak in another language as He gave you the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see these, these are moments that became. That were once theoretical in your life. Became real. Became practical. Yet this is the first thing that we need to identify. Is the death. Now how do we identify with death. If we've never died. If we don't understand the fullness of that word death. Well for some of us there's a commonality. We've experienced the fact that someone in our life has died. We've lost something that we cared about. We've actually identified with loss, true loss. And this is where the old man has to die, the death. That's what we're talking about, the sin nature in your life. The things that you've done that has brought you to a moment of repentance. And this is where that old man becomes crucified with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, you'll find an altar and you begin to pour out your, everything that you've held on to. 
And everything that is inside of you that you've done, you know you need to ask God for repentance. And that is at an altar. Or even in your car or in your home or wherever you're at. You don't have to be at an altar for that to take place. You seek true repentance, though, in this moment. And that really is the turning away from sin. A 360. An about face. For me, I was in the military. So I understand the, the language of about face. It's quite literally changing your direction. It's going down a path of destruction that you were once on, but then making the choice to turn around and become something different that God has intended for you to become. And that is through repentance. You see, repentance is the death of sin in our lives. The first time that we repent and follow that up with water baptism in Jesus' name, then that old man is gone and that sin nature that once lived in you has been washed away. And all of this is true. And all of this is great. But there are some of us that have not yet chosen to take that step. That have not chosen to, to go into that covenant relationship. And I want to confess this morning to say, you are running out of time. We do not have a lot more time left. Today could be the last day you have an opportunity. And the Lord and Jesus Christ said, he said, Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name. See, 2 Peter says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people might think. No, he's being patient for your sake. For those of you who are still on the fence. And, and what Peter's talking about there is the rapture, the second coming of Jesus Christ. In all of his glory. He says he does not want to be destroyed. You to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You see, we can identify with our Savior's death because of his love for us. And maybe this morning you think about everything you've ever done, everything you've, every mistake that you've ever committed, and you think about it, and it, it resonates with your soul. It sits on you. There's a conscience that says, I need, to, I need to get rid of this. I need to give this away. And there's a voice telling you that maybe you're not good enough, or maybe this isn't going to work with for you, this repentance. And somehow, it's just not going to happen. Yet we can find this story where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in Luke 15, and he says, directly after the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of, of being with sinners, of being with scum, of being with bad people, of people that make decisions that would would ultimately not be righteous, would not be right. And he says, so Jesus told them a story, and he says, if a, hundred, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders where he arrives. He will... Call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And that, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You see, repentance is not searching for those that do not believe they don't need to repent, it's searching for those that do need to repent. Those that realize they're a sinner. Those that realize they have guilt. And, and you can take true comfort in the fact that Jesus is seeking you. And what he desires is to have relationship with you. 
Because our Lord and Savior, He is faithful. He is merciful. He is quick to forgive. 1 John chapter 1 tells us, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all wickedness. And if we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His word has no place in our hearts. The issue is with the Pharisees in this parable of the lost sheep. Because this generation of religious people felt there was no need to repent. If you come here this morning and say, I don't need to repent. I don't need forgiveness. I'm not a sinner. Then you might find yourself in the same fate that those Pharisees found themselves. I know it's hard to hear, but it's true. And this is why John the Baptist called them the offspring of vipers. John's ministry really was the ministry of repentance. He was a voice calling from the wilderness, telling the entire nation of Israel to repent. And see, we are all, every single one of us that is here in the house of the Lord this morning, is listening online, maybe tuning in on a podcast, we are all in need of a Savior. There is not one thing that he he, he wants you to have relationship with him. So it's found in that repentance where I say, Lord, I need you. And it was by his stripes that we are healed. And by his death that we can see we've been set free. 1 Peter 2 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. And Paul said it like this to the church in Rome. But God commandeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How many this morning are thankful for the fact that our Savior chose to die on a cross for us, even while we were sinning, even while we were making bad decisions, even while we were doing things we knew we shouldn't be doing, he still chose to love us enough to die on that cross. But it doesn't stop at repentance. And I know you hear a message like this about repentance, about the teaching of of going away from things in your life that's sinful and, and trying to get past those things. And so there's a real want, a real desire to repent, to take those things to the Lord, to say, I'm sorry, Lord, for those things. Because even though you've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and you've, you've sought repentance, you still need to die daily like Paul talked about. And so in this, there is that desire to do it, to continue to to ask for forgiveness. But I am thankful that God gave us a way to be born again. You see, because the death is the repentance, but then you have the burial, which is of the old man. And then the, the resurrection, which is the power of God through the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't stop there. To be born again, you must be baptized in that name. The only name that saves, and that is Jesus. Paul wrote about this in his letter to the church in Rome in Romans 6. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
We identify with the freedom that comes from our Lord's sacrifice. We can find true freedom in that cross. And we can find power that is contained in that identity. Romans 6 goes on to say that, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law but under grace. This morning God is offering his salvation freely to every man, woman, and child. He says, I want to have you be under the covenant. I want to have you to have salvation. And he says, here it is. You can come. You can receive it. And it's offered through a sacrifice, through a satisfactory price that was paid on Calvary. This price that was paid, we call it the propitiation. It was a payment. It was the only payment. That could have been paid. You know, oftentimes we say, well, I can pay the payment myself. I can take care of the sins myself. I can, I can make this right. But the reality is you cannot make it right because there's nothing in your own monetary value that could ever pay the price for your sins. It was only by Christ's payment that the true payment could be made. And not just during Jesus' time, but even now that's necessary. Even in the future it's necessary. And even in the past it was necessary for that payment to be made. Faith because it took faith. It takes faith. Without faith it's impossible to receive this salvation. But it also requires obedience to this news, this good news. To the death, burial, and resurrection. Which is just repentance, water baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You see, the individuals who reject this message, the individuals who say this is not for me, they do it out of disbelief and disobedience. They make a choice. They say, I'm not, I, I just can't believe that. Or I just, you know, not today. Not right now. Not for me. I know because I personally have been there, I've seen it, and I've experienced it. I was that person. I didn't want that. So there are times when we talk about the good news that we'll see some that come in and there's a powerful message that's received, preached, and taught. And they, they feel the presence of God, but they still choose not to obey the, the good news. And so when we hear this message Though God will change your mind. He will change your heart through his words, through his, his teachings. You see, this really, for us, when we talk about repentance, he takes those things in our life and he, he cleanses them. He, he takes them away and we, we drop them at that altar and they're, they're etched out. But then we have to take the care of them for once and for good and we go through baptism. And then we get the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this is the empowerment of the believer to live a holy life. That is why Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for power. Why did they need power? I mean, they spent three years with Jesus Christ, learning, being taught, 
hearing the words of salvation, hearing the words of freedom, understanding something, but yet they still needed power. They still needed something that was going to allow them to continue on the work that he called them to do. You can't suffer a martyr's death if it's only simply theoretical. So the reality was they needed power. Luke 24 tells us, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. That power is the Holy Ghost. And it is a promise. It's not just something that you say, well, I would like to get it, so I'm going to come. I'm going to beg God for it. I'm going I'm to raise my hands. I'm going to pray until he gives it to me. No, he says, it's a gift. Come, receive it freely. I want to give it to you. It's not strange or supernatural in the sense that it's scary, but it's supernatural in the sense that it gives you power, real power to live a holy life. And you see, there's a war that's waged for your soul. There is, there is influences and powers and principalities out there in this world that we live in right now that would do everything it can to convince you that this is not real, that this is just some make-believe story, and you don't have to adhere to this good news because really, if I'm just a good person, I can be free. But that's not the case. That's not what's... That's not the truth. And there is a war. It's, it's flesh. It's physical. But it's also spiritual. We would not need God's spirit living in us if it was physical and, and if it was simply just carnality. Galatians 5 tells us about this war that's being fought. It's being waged on us. This war against the sin nature of every single Christian, every single person in this house today. This is the war that you are going through. And he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So that's a reliance. That's, that's me saying, I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to allow it to guide me, to direct me, to help me go through things that I don't know how to uh, navigate. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's I, I got a diagnosis from the doctor. These are the things that for you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, then you will find that he is faithful, that God is faithful to help you through those circumstances. You see, this sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what that spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. So you're not capable. I'm not capable. I can't wake up tomorrow morning and say, well, I'm just going to wean it. I'm just going to try to be a good person today and, you know, see what happens. I have to rely on God. I have to rely on His Spirit that guides me. Because I'm going to tell you that it is impossible to fight this fight without God. Without being in a covenant relationship with God. It requires a true desire to seek Him out. That's why when we talk about repentance at an altar, or repentance in general, it has to be called true repentance. 
You see, there's a difference between repentance and true repentance. I can say I'm sorry all day, but never mean it. But when I'm driven to repentance, to a place where I actually desire to be forgiven for the things I've done, there's a change. And when I go into that water with that change that sits upon my life, I myself can find true freedom. Because it partners with that repentance. That's why oftentimes, or unfortunately, we've seen some that will come and and they'll be baptized in the holy name of Jesus. They'll say, they'll ask for the forgiveness and they'll experience it, and yet they'll walk away and never come back. I'm closing. Musicians can come. And so in this in this message of relatability, of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection, I was really, I wrestled with the idea that we are truly in a fight, that we are truly in a war right now in our, in our world. And we've always been. Scripture's same today, yesterday, and forever. But there are times when the heat rises when the things become a little bit more bleak. And, and as you can see all around us, our world, there is evil thoughts and evil concepts being birthed faster than anything we could imagine. And forget, forget for a moment all the, the miserable disagreements in our current political environment in America. And just look over the landscape of our world. You can see that it continually is getting more evil by the day and that what was once called good is now being called evil and evil being called good. And that is why it is imperative to identify with this new birth. Because those that are found in this covenant relationship, those that obey the Acts 2.38 message, which is to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and receive the promise of the Holy Ghost. For you who have done this, you are just traveling through. You, this is not your final destination. This is not where your life will end. For there will be more for you on the other side. And there will be joy in the morning. There will be peace after the storm and the tears will be wiped away. And the Apostle John said that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So with this Holy Ghost that lives in you, there is power to overcome. And sure, you might have made some mistakes coming into this morning, but I remind you that there's no condemnation under Jesus Christ and for those who put their trust in Him. Paul said it like this, We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Romans 8 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the true relationship, covenant relationship we can enter into. So this morning, if you have not received the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you have not repented at an altar, and if you have not been baptized in that name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, then I implore you, your time is running out. Today, make that day. Today, make that decision. Don't leave here without finding the water, without being filled with His Spirit.
If you'll stand with me as we enter into this worship service this morning. In Jesus' name.